chapter 2, verse 13. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration, so Jesus went to Jerusalem. In the temple area, he saw merchants selling cattle, sheep, and doves for sacrifices. He also saw dealers at tables exchanging foreign money. And Jesus made a whip from some ropes. And he chased them all out of the temple. He drove out the sheep and the cattle. He scattered the money changers' coins over the floor. And he turned over the tables. When I picture my Jesus, I like to picture him like this. If anybody has seen that movie, you'll know what I'm quoting. Then going over to the people who sold doves, he told them, Get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. Then his disciples, they remembered. They remembered this prophecy from the scriptures. Passion for God's house will consume me. And their minds were ignited with memory. But the Jewish leaders demanded, What are you doing? If God gave you authority to do this, show us a miraculous sign to prove it. All right, Jesus replied with the ultimate statement of all time. Destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. What? They exclaimed. It has taken 46 years to build this temple and you can rebuild it in three days? But of course... When Jesus had said this about the temple, he meant his own body. You see, after Jesus was raised from the dead, his disciples' memory was ignited and they remembered that he had said this. And they believed both the scriptures, the part about the zeal, and they believed what Jesus had said. So I want to ask, I want, this is the word of the Lord. Indeed, indeed. I want to ask a question. What is friendship? And I'm looking for responses. So what is friendship? Asa, who called out first one? Yeah. You just want to have fun. Girls, just want to have fun, man. That's, just want to have fun, right? That's a song, Asa. That's a song. Asa says when he meets someone, he just want to be friends. Anyone else? Friendship. What is friendship? It's camaraderie. Yes, it sure is. What else is it? It's laughter. Uh, one more time. Ah, oh, that's a good one. All these are good, but that's really good. Being, yeah, being fully yourself, right? Luke, what do you got for us, buddy? Oh, my gosh. I'm going to define friendship here in a second, and that is one of them. Kindness. Remember that. Luke, A plus, gold star, grace. That's one, too. Trust. Trust, yes. Roxy. Yeah. Honesty. Yeah. Uh, Ron, was that your hand? Nope. I'm just going <laughs> to. I'm really trying to get you in this service, man. <laughs> uh, Terry. A youthful, mutual, oh, hey, play around with that idea here, Terry, with the way that we're set up here, reciprocity, 
receiving one another and mutually doing it together. Yeah, I like this definition of friendship a lot. Uh, Reuben. Yes, friendship is love. And Jacqueline, you have the honor of being the last word. Bring it home. Being known. Yes. Uh, uh, Chrissy says something similar, but not the same. She said being seen, right? I was seen this morning. Someone in this congregation, I won't say their names, but Emma came and talked to me this morning. And she said, I saw you this morning. I said, you did. That's creepy. She said, yeah. So I saw you this morning when I pulled into the parking lot, and you were talking with Roger Young, and you had a sweater on. And um, I couldn't tell um, from where I was at, but I thought you guys were the same age. (laughs) So you'll notice that I don't have that sweater on anymore. (laughs) Because James also said, you look like an old man trying to be a hipster. They saw me. <laughs> they saw me. I don't know if they know me. Man, it hurt. So I, yeah, adaptability. You just adjust. You go with it. Man, I just took the sweater off, right? <laughs> being seen, though, it is a great thing, right? It is a great thing. Being seen and being known, knowing one another. Wow. Well, I have, uh, you know, we have the elementary kids here with us today, and so uh, maybe I should do this every week. It may be helpful, but today I tried to uh, um, uh, include some visual elements for us so that we could kind of play along, all right? Uh, so, famous friends. Let's see if we can get these. And Ignite, the first one, Carson, what is it? Ah, yes. You guys know that? Yeah, famous friends. Uh, what, uh, what, what, yes. Oh, Team USA uh, trivia over there. Yeah. Okay, how about the next one? What's the next one? Ah, yeah. This has, this has, I'm not making any political statement here. If you haven't Googled Obama and Biden memes, it doesn't matter what your political persuasion is. Just do it because it is hilarious. People make up like what they're saying in that moment. <laughs> like this. Can you believe Hillary's email? <laughs> it's just funny. It's just funny, okay? They're buddies. They're in work together. They like each other. All right, next. Oh, yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Okay, uh, and then the last famous, of course, right? Right, yeah, cliche, yeah, friends, right? Um, <laughs> I, I, I like this definition of friendship. Carson is two over. And it comes from a, a guy named Justin Langsford, and he's defining not friendship as defined in our culture. He's defining what friendship means in the Bible. So when the words friend or friendship is used in the Old Testament and New Testament, Justin says, This is what it is. It's a reciprocal relationship characterized by intimacy, faithfulness, trust, Luke, unmotivated kindness, and service. One more time, because I think it's really good, right? Friendship is a reciprocal relationship characterized by intimacy, faithfulness, trust, 
unmotivated kindness and service. Well, this concept, it can describe relationships with one another and relationships with God. I put it in a little bit easier way for us to digest. What is friendship? Well, it's reciprocal. It's intimate. It's faithful. It's trusting. It's kind. And it's serving. Every time the word friend is used in the Bible, this is what is meant. It is reciprocal. Cyclical. It gives and it receives. I wouldn't say take. Like Dennis, we don't say we're going to take the Eucharist. We say we're going to receive the Eucharist. Because friendship, friendship is not about taking. It's reciprocal. It's mutual, Terry. It's receiving one another. And that is different. And the gifts of the Lord's table is not something we take, right? As if we're consuming. It's ours. I paid for it, right? No. It's a gift. The Lord gives and we receive and we offer praise through the doxology. Just a little worship lesson. This one's free. This was in the notes. Then we, then we offer doxology. Remember, we do that every week. We offer doxology. What are we doing? Well, we're praying. God is speaking. We are listening. We are speaking. God is listening. It's reciprocal. It's a conversation. The whole worship service. Can you believe it? We actually plan these things. They're good when they work. They're awkward when they don't. The whole worship service is a prayer. The whole thing is receiving, right? God speaks through the psalm, Psalm 19, that Emma so beautifully read. And what do we say back? This is the word of the Lord. Oh, God speaks. We receive. And we offer praise back. And this goes back and forth. And believe it or not, This part of the worship service is where we have faith that God is speaking through a crazy man that cannot sit still. And you receive. (laughs) You don't have to like it, but you receive it. Today's uh, next slide here, Carson. Today's today's story. Today's story, right? I like this image. What does today's story make you think of? Feel free to talk or you can just pass. I've got notes. I can move on. What does this story make you think of? He's cleaning house. What makes Jesus so upset? The money exchangers makes Jesus so upset. Anybody else want to offer that? Uh, yeah, they're taking advantage of the trust, yeah. Ah, so, Tom, you would say it's divisive of some sort. Like the temple structure was divisive of some sort. And, and God is, uh, Jesus, God in Jesus is responding to that. Hmm. What were you going to say? Ah. Yeah? Oh. God. You want to preach? You want to just finish it out? I mean, I messed it up already. I'll just sit down. (laughs) Well, Stefan, 
Your words are sanctified in their right. Man, in a moment, in a moment, church, we're going to confess. And one of the things that I'm going to invite you to confess this morning is about the institutional church. Not, not to turn over tables, per se, but not too far from it, all right? The church in its history hasn't always done it right. But we are God's bride, and we are God's choice. I know it is hip, it's trendy for us to choose against the church. But you'll notice that God never does. God never chooses another option, ever. Remember now, our God is scandalous. He does things that goes against our own intuition and desires all of the time. God has one vehicle for God's mission in the world. It's the church. It's the church. doesn't mean we haven't screwed it up royally. Be like us confessing that God needs to send another son because all we've done is vandalize the first one he sent. No, God sends one son. It's Jesus. God sends one vehicle into the world. It is the church. But it doesn't mean that the church hasn't messed it up. So what do you do with friendships when they mess up? What do you do with friendships when they break your heart? What do you do with churches when they let you down? What do you do with the institution when they worry more about the life and vitality of the organization than they do the souls of the people and the bodies of the ones that sit in the pews? Do you just walk out? Do you just give up? Do you know, do you have any idea how tempted God was to walk out on us? Oh, just read the Psalms. It seems like it's time marked time after time after time. That God is like, I can't hardly take it anymore. I'm done with this. I'm done with you. You wicked people. You hard-hearted folk. I'm going to walk out and I'm going to quit. But what does God do? Does God quit on us? He does not, right? Instead, God just gets deeper and deeper and deeper. His ultimate solution is to take on flesh, become human, and walk amongst us. Ultimately and eternally wedding the body of God to the body of people. And that is the church. It's his one and only vehicle. Now by church, I don't mean Roman Catholic church. Lutheran church, Presbyterian church, New Beginnings church, church of the Nazarene. Swear all your allegiance to the people on uh, Star Parkway or whatever in Lenexa, Kansas. Give them all of your money. No, 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 I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the people of God who carry on the life and love of God. But at some point, the vitality of living in God's ways with God's commandments became stale, right? When I read to you, not so eloquently, 
But when I read to you the Ten Commandments, how did you receive them? When I say the words Ten Commandments, how do you receive them? Does it make you jump for joy? Is it sweeter than strawberries? Are you about to lose yourself in praise and worship? The Ten Commandments! Nobody. (laughs) Nobody. What does it make you think of? People in Arkansas get really mad about courtrooms. What What does it make you think about? Instructions. Rules. But when we came into the sanctuary this morning and Emma pastored us as as she welcomed us into the call to worship, we took strawberries. What? I know it's crazy. These things are deliberate. It wasn't just like, hey, it'd be fun to eat strawberries. We actually planned. What what did we say as we ate those strawberries? What did we hear? We didn't say anything, but what did we hear? Oh, and in the modern translations, it's not words. In modern translations, it's commands. And it's the psalmist talking about the Ten Commandments. Your Ten Commandments are sweeter than strawberries. And a more traditional translation would say sweeter than honey. And I thought about passing out, um, what's that, honey candy? A bit of honey? thought about passing out a bit of honeys this morning. But we went with strawberries instead. Fresh. But Brenda, let me ask you a question. Does the Ten Commandments feel like sweeter than honey to you? Or does it feel like a yoke around your neck that you cannot shake? Carson, there's a, a screen here about God's commands. I want to read this real quick to keep myself in, in center. You know, when God, do you know why God made those commands? Anybody? It rhymes with uh, trendship, and it's the topic of the sermon today. Friendship. God wrote the commands not for obedience. God wrote the commands for unity. He wants us to live like him. He did it for our salvation. If you live like this, then you live like me, and I want you to live like me. And so God speaks, and the people receive. And the psalmist David, right, because he didn't live in the south, right? He, he didn't live when we, tried to, when we yield the Ten Commandments with political power. He didn't live in those days. He lived in different days. And the Ten Commandments meant something different than him than what we hear when we say Ten Commandments. And David burst forth in praise saying, man, your ways are higher than your, my ways and your knowledge is better than my knowledge. Man, if I just had an ounce of your knowledge, your word is sweet, sweeter than honey. God's commandments, you see, they can only be known and felt in relationship. If God's commands is read as something else, if the Ten Commandments come to us as some uh, political person's um, drive to receive power in an office, they lose all of their power. Now they're not words living within heaven, coming to us in earth, bringing us back to heaven. Now they're words seated in a courtroom somewhere. Spoken over us by a judge, 
making us confess that we also believe. Oh, it rips the power out of relationship and it becomes cognitive. What do I confess? Where do I go on Sundays? What do I believe and what do I say and how do I think? Do I think like a Christian? Do I behave like a Christian? Do I live like a Christian? Can I prove myself to my neighbors that I'm a Christian? And it becomes completely cognitive, ripped out of the power of God speaking into our hearts, our hearts receiving that word, speaking praise back into the heart of God, and living in this reciprocal relationship of intimacy and closeness and kindness being formed and changed. My parents came to me when I was in high school, Zoe. And my parents said, I want you to stop hanging out with Dane. He is forming you, they said. You're acting just like him. And of course, at 17 years old, what did I say? You were 17 once, what did you say? No, I'm not. You don't know what you're talking about. You have no idea. I'm, I'm just the same. You changed. <laughs> Boom, mom, deal with that. You changed. I didn't change. I'm the same. <laughs> Relationships, they form us, right? They shape us. You become like the people you hang out with. I'm sorry to tell you that my mom was right. I talked like him. I dressed like him. Any one of you start college? No, let's go back earlier. Any of you start, start high school and you had a friend that the next year dressed completely different? Next day, dressed completely different. The next week, dressed completely different. And each, each time they changed, they were fitting in with someone else, trying to become the group that they're hanging out with. Relationships shape us. They form us, man. We become just like them. I became just like Dane, and God wants, it ended up being a good thing. God had to be redeemed first, but it ended up being a good thing. God wants us to be just like him. Not commandments that lord over our life, but a relationship where God speaks, we receive. We speak, God receives. All right. I'm literally putting you some to sleep. Let me move on. Let me move on. The next slide, Carson. The problem with friendships become when we stop receiving, Right? And we start defending. This is where trouble comes. When I become the center of the relationship, and your viewpoint has to match up to mine. When I become the center of truth, and I have to defend and protect myself for safety. Uh Uh-oh. This is where the breakdown comes. When this stops becoming life and becomes an object to protect, it stops breathing. It becomes a thing. We can define it. We know it. I know it better than Dennis. If you write something on Facebook that goes different than what I said about this, I will attack you because I know it. I know it better than you. It's become my thing. This is my Bible. This is my truth. This is my God. This is my Jesus. I know exactly what he walks like, looks like, talks like. I know Jesus because he lives up in my mind. And I know him better than you know him because I can parse Greek and you can't. 
What's happening here? The Lord is becoming like an object, right? There's no give and receive. There's a lot of taking in those statements. I've taken faith and I've made it into my sword. And I will protect by it. And I will live by it. Have you experienced this not only in faith? I want to take a semi-serious turn. And then, believe it or not, I'll wrap this up and we're going to move on. Okay? I want to take a semi-serious turn and, and step away from faith for a second and just talk about friendships, Mark. Have you experienced that in relationships? You know, what Stefan said, or, or sorry, what Tom said earlier is right on. You know, when Jesus comes into the temple, you know what he's upset at? You know what drives him nuts? Is that God's commands were meant for life, not to be sold and bought in a marketplace. The Jews had objectified the commandments of God and they had used the commandments of God to set up an entire economy of sacrifice. People were getting rich off the commandment. Can you believe that? That the market in their days had somehow captured the church's imagination and turned it into capitalism? I can't imagine a world in which would take Christian movies and then sell them like nuts. I mean, these. Wow! They made massive amounts of money off objectifying the commandments of God. And Jesus walked into the temple. And you know how they set this economy up? We don't know anything about this, but they set the economy up in the poor realm to take advantage of the foreigners. And so it was the foreigners who came in for worship that were distracted by the marketplace and then the prices were gouged so that they were being taken advantage of. They had set up an entire unfair economy to take advantage of the poor and to further separate those that weren't like the Jews. It was segregated. So when Jesus walked into the temple, he didn't flip over tables to give you an excuse to go nuts on Republicans. That's not why he turned over tables. So don't use that as your excuse. Be careful not to use that as your excuse when you go on a rampage about someone not believing the same way that you believe. Be careful. This is not why God turned over tables. So I could get frustrated at you when you look at your cell phones during the entirety of worship. I see that. And I use that as an excuse to yell at you. That's not why God did that. I don't think God turned over tables so we could use that as our one mantra in this culture. I'm being Christ-like, just tearing people apart, being Christ-like. I don't think that's why God did this in Jesus. I think what upset Jesus so much was that he walked into a temple that was meant for unity. Sweeter than honey. Your ways are higher than my ways. Your knowledge is higher than my knowledge. And human beings had twisted that institution and they had turned that institution to be a money-making machine. And God's vitality and the heart of God's life could not live in such corruption. He walked into a place that was meant for unity and found division amongst some of the strongest division in human history. Why did Jesus turn over tables? Because I think he wanted to catch our attention that God wants to live in relationship. Not through some objectified system where we buy his attention. 
or we find out what political party ticket he runs on and we join that one. I think he wants to live beyond our imagination. Folks, this may be hard for us to hear. I think God wants us to be open to thinking unlike any other neighbor that you have. I think God wants to us to join his heart that lives above our own culture, which means it is possible to live in a third way if you live in Jesus. Okay, now back to the point I've talked to Mark about. You've ever had a friendship where it stopped being that reciprocity and it became, it became divided? Mark, have you ever had a family member? You used to eat with them. You used to dine with them. But ever since the 2008 election, you can't do that anymore. Have you ever had friends that you've been driven so far apart because of what you believe? Lord, have mercy. I thought I would do this as an experiment today. It may be my last sermon at New Beginnings. But if we have visual learners, Ron, I thought I would do this as an experiment. And if you're a people watcher, I thought I would do this as an experiment. Pay attention to each other's faces. I'm going to say some words. Okay. Uh, Jayhawks. Ooh, there were some smiles. There were some smiles. Were there any frowns? Uh, yeah, yeah, Kevin. Kevin. Uh, tigers. Oh, okay. All right. Okay. Uh, how about Cardinals. I can't believe I said cardinals in the sermon. Scrap this, Theron. Delete it. Uh, what about royals? <laughs> I want you to watch in this quadrant right here. Red Sox. <laughs> uh, you see the face. Okay. Trump. Hillary. Oh, look at each other now. Watch each other. What are you feeling in your heart? As I say, gun laws, <laughs> abortion. Mm. I, I know I'm getting people like staring at me. When are you moving on? Right? You feel intense. It's starting to feel like that dinner that you no longer go to, right? I don't blame you. What happened? Jeff, were we meant to live like this? What happened? Jeff, when you stopped becoming Jeff Shove, I, no, I have no idea what Jeff voted for, okay? And you became the political party that I stand against. Jeff, what happened to where I have to block you on Facebook? Because I can't even bear to hear what you have to say. Now, if God's turning over tables, he's doing so in lamenting because he meant for Jeff and I to be friends. We don't have to agree, but he meant for us to receive one another. And when I objectify Jeff, you know what happens? He stops being a living person. He becomes a thing. He's no longer Jeff Schof. He's the raging Democrat. I have no idea. I don't know. Okay, I, don't, I have no idea. <laughs> there you go. Uh, I will say this is what becomes so beautiful about what we do in this space. The best of my knowledge, we're split right down the middle, and there's not a lot of congregations like that. 
There's people that are passionately Democrat in this space. And there are people that are passionately Republican in this space. But every week we come to one table, right? This isn't for kicks and giggles. This isn't so you can feel good about your life. It's so that you can be wed in the heart of God as you receive God's imagination for you. And it is Republican, but more. I should say it can be. And it can be Democrat, but more. And it can be American. America's not a bad thing, but more. It can be so much more. Man, listen, if you're a dreamer, if you're a sci-fi reader, if if you're someone that likes to think open-ended, don't you know that this table gives us permission to join the heavenly realms that even goes beyond this earth? The church isn't about closing off ideas. Oh my goodness, no. Let us repent to where we've done that. Let me repent if I've ever led you to have a closed-off imagination. The table tells us all things are possible through Christ and not just about throwing footballs. All things, all things, meaning that the Republicans and the Democrats could come together in a world where they can't, in a culture where it's not happening. I heard from someone this week that said, Pastor, I'm doing what you've asked us to do. There's a lot of you, actually. It blows my mind. I can't actually believe it. The staff set, a, the staff set an expectation of one person, <laughs> one person taking advantage of making new friendships. And I've had several. If you want me to be real, I've had like six. That's not everybody, but that's a lot more than what I thought. It's amazing. And one of those people texted me and said, Pastor, I've been doing what you've asked us to do, meeting with people that I don't know. And I went to dinner with Raging Republican number one, okay? This person, not Raging Republican number one, okay? I was amazed at how much I liked that person. is the gospel of our Lord Jesus that does not live in containers, but lives in his grace and in his mercy, that lives beyond human ideas, and that has a plan and purpose for our world that's not just about where you go to church. It's about living in the life, in the heart of whom God has designed you to be. And friendship is at the core. Okay. (laughs) Amen. Jesus wants to be friends with you. He doesn't want your Ten Commandments. He wants your heart, and he'll write his Ten Commandments on your heart. Jesus doesn't want your behavior. He wants your life. He will come into you through the Holy Spirit, and he will change your behavior because you'll be like me and Dane. You'll start hanging out with Jesus, Liz, every day, and suddenly someone will come to you and say, man, your language has changed. Man, you're... What you, what you do and where you go, what you buy and what you don't buy, it's all changed. I, I, I'm going to embarrass this person. I don't mean to, but I think you should hang out with Lana Miller one day. Pay attention to the choices that Lana makes. She's not perfect, and Lana, neither am I, right? Neither am I. But Lana also always tells me, I have to do the hard things because God told me to do the hard things. And I think what Lana is saying, is that I go where Jesus goes because I walk with Jesus. I try. It changes you. It changes you. 
And it's not just laying and I kind of feel bad that I put you on blast. It's not just Ursula. Little... Come hang out with me. I try to do things differently. I've been trying to wake up at 5 a.m. Come, come hang out with me. Let's wake up at 5 and let's listen. Riley did it with me. He didn't wake up at 5, but he sat at a camp bed across from me. And we just sat in silence for 20 minutes. Remember that? I do things differently because I'm being formed differently. I'm being shaped differently. That's what God wants. So last illustration. At Conception Abbey, there's a picture. I think it might be one of the last pictures. We're just blazing through all that. There you go. There we are. This is taken at Conception Abbey where I go for prayer retreat. And these are the monks. Uh, one of them I won't bother with. I could point out is our host every time we go. These are the brothers. They're great. Here's what they do five times a day. They read the Psalms over one another. One side reads one verse. The other side reads the second verse. You know what's happening? Divine friendship is happening. As the one side speaks God's word over the other, the other side receives not only God, but receives that person. They receive not only that person, they receive that person through the commands of God. That's sweeter than strawberries. Michelle, when you come to this table, you come to the center of the room meeting Darla Zimmerman. I don't think there's any bad blood there. I don't know. If there is, please forgive me. I didn't know. But you come to meet. And through the grace of Christ, you are made and intertwined. Can you imagine a world where the left side speaks over the right side? And the right side receives it and speaks back to the left side. And not only are you speaking to one another, but you're speaking God's commands and words to each other. Can you imagine doing that with your cousin or with your daughter or with your son or with your dad or with the person that you cannot stand? Could you imagine doing that with the one that used to go to church here? Could you imagine that? This is what God's hope is for us. Not to just be a catchy congregation that has hip music and an old-looking pastor. I was going to say hip pastor, Elaine, but that don't work anymore. I look old now, I guess. God's design isn't for you to go to a catchy church. Oh, no. God's design is for you to walk into a community that lives Monday through Sunday with Jesus at the center, speaking God's life over everyone they meet, receiving God's life from everyone they meet. And through faith, we say that God has created every single person. You want an exercise this week? Here's a spiritual exercise. Listen, whether it's on social media, TV, or in person, to the one you cannot stand. Listen to them. Listen to them. And ask for God to give you eyes to see the breath of God that lives in them. Oh my. Your whole world will change. Your whole world will change. Don't listen for what you disagree with. Don't listen for what makes them not Christian. No, just listen to them. And this, for some of you, it may be the person you live with. Could you imagine the healing, Roger? We are on the precipice of major healing and breakthrough in this church. I know we are. I know we are because we're we're grabbing the dragon by the tail in this way. We're naming what it is that stands against us. 
And if there is nothing that can stand against us, then Christ can come in full power and full reign. This is how we're going to confess this week. I'll need the ushers to help me. I'll need the ushers. Someone. By ushers, I mean anyone willing to walk around the sanctuary. Everyone gets a dollar bill. Okay. Is there anything in our uh, culture that stands for division more than money? There's an entire race of people in our country where this represents major division for them. Division. Oh, I believe God works within our economy. I believe God can bless our economy to work for our good. But I think human beings can use anything. The church, money, politics, cars, sports. (laughs) Human beings can use anything to divide against one another. Because when we divide, then we can objectify. And when we objectify, we can control. It's It's an easy formula. God doesn't want to control us. God wants to live with us. In order for God to have our heart, I think we're going to have to confess the very things that we objectify. And so there's some pens and stuff here. I'll need some more helpers. (laughs) Thank you, honey. Organization. Hey, Ron, you're back. We're going to take just a minute, and this morning, I'm just going to give you silence. Uh, James, would you mind, uh, or Daniel, someone, would you mind to play music just for us in the background? I want to give you just a minute to write on the back of this, what is dividing you from your brother? What is dividing you from your sister? What is dividing you from someone in the congregation? What is keeping you from God? You know, no one's going to read these. These can go straight in the trash or in your pocket and trash. Or we have a shredder. I'd be happy to show you the shredder. If, if you want to get really particular, you can go shred it. And no one's going to read them, okay? But could we just ask Jesus to illuminate our hearts and minds today that if there's anything, I know there's a few of you because I've heard from you too that say, well, Pastor, I don't have anything to confess. Well, I mean, it's Jesus and then you. I am really proud of you. I am really, I am really proud of you. But, but I think when we say stuff like that, it's just because we, we, we're not directed well. And I, and I may not be directing you well, but I may be directing others well. So if you're still with me, <laughs> invite Jesus to illuminate our minds and our hearts. And what is it? And it might just be a vague idea, or for you it might be particular. <laughs> For some, it might be just your heart. Who knows? Whatever's good for you. I want to do this, give you a few minutes to do it. And then for those that would like to speak public confession, I would encourage you to be appropriate. Maybe more appropriate than even I have been, okay? I would encourage you to speak honestly. If you want us to hear your confession, great. And then... From the side that confession comes, if it comes from this side, I would like the opposite side to say, brother or sister, you are forgiven.
And I would like the opposite side then to repeat back, and so are you. Could we just practice that? There may not be anyone that wants to take me up on this offer, okay? But for those that would like to speak their words in community and be held to the accountability that that presents, there's a strong tradition in the Christian church for this. We invite you to do it. But I want us to practice so that we don't mess it up. If I speak my confession, then you say, um, uh, brother, you are forgiven. Okay, say it. And so are you. Yes. One more time. Now, I want you to imagine as if you're the one that's brave enough to do this. And I want you to say with the energy that you would hope to receive it from someone else. Say it like you really mean it. One more time. Take Take a minute. Confess. Father, thank you for this day. Lord Jesus, we invite you into our minds and into our hearts to lay before you all those things that we've used to divide each other against one another. Jesus, in your gracious way, turn these tables over. In your name we pray.